Welcome back to your favorite podcast, Wild Quincy. Chris Ketter's here with you with my best buddy, Travis Hoffman. Travis, how are we doing? I'm doing pretty good, Chris. How about yourself? Not too bad. You know, we're deep into uh, our first season of Wild Quincy, having a lot of fun. Had a lot of uh, positive feedback on our last episode about bars and churches. That was a lot of fun. And uh, hopefully you got a chance to listen to that. And uh, we got some shout outs from, from that episode. Yeah, yeah. There was a few people. Some people jumped over to our Patreon page between uh, now and then a couple shout outs patreon wise amanda van s thanks so much for helping out uh evil girl 71 rocks username um not sure what the real name name is there but i like the mystery of it all uh (laughs) want to thank them very much for taking the leap to patreon it's a great way to show some support and also unlock another another set of episodes that you're missing out on you're only getting 50 percent of the show right now chris and uh and if you want it all, Patreon's the way to go. A couple bucks a month, show us some support, get some more content. Go to uh, patreon.com slash wildquincy or jump over to wildquincy.com and there'll be a link there for you. We'd love to see you there. Yeah, it's uh, a lot of good stuff over there at our Patreon site. And again, we love having those uh, new people coming in and checking it out. And uh, as always, we invite you to check it out as well. Uh, we talked about in that last episode, which I, I'm going to point out, we talked about that uh, about the Footloose scenario of Quincy. Yeah, <laughs> yes, definitely. Yeah, so uh, check that out at uh, Patreon.com. And by the way, I, one thing I did think about is that uh, I keep we keep saying Patreon. It's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. It's like a patron, but with an E in it. That's right. Since <laughs> it's digital, sense. it's E. E-patron. Patreon. So that is that. We also want to give a shout out to a radio station, Y11 Kick FM. They uh, gave us some love on their Facebook page and asked uh, the question, what is this wild Quincy? And uh, so we got some good response from that. So we appreciate those two uh, stations giving us a little shout out, giving us a little love on social media. So we appreciate that. Very much. So, yes, thank you. Travis, uh, we're going to make this a quick interview because we have so much to get to in this episode but we have to talk first and foremost about the question of the day are you ready for this one lay it on me this month safewise.com ranked the safest cities in the state of illinois where does quincy rank in these rankings i'm going to give you a few choices on what the ranking numbers are here so here are your choices either uh, number one is 18 number two 56 Number three, 108th, or number four, 240th. So again, the question is this. This month, SafeWise.com ranked the safest cities in the state of Illinois. And we're asking you, where do you think Quincy ranks in those lists? So 1856, 108th, or 240th. Okay. Okay, we got a wide range there. I'll think about that. <laughs> yeah, I'm spread it out for you on those numbers. We'll have the answer to that question of the day coming up at the end of this episode, along, of course, with everybody's favorite throwback ad. We'll have that as well. But uh, before we get to all that, we're going to get into the, the meat of this episode. We're going to dig into something that happened quite a few years ago in Quincy, but it's uh, a lot to talk about. We're going to talk about the World Free Fall Convention. It's coming up next right here on Wild Quincy. Hi, I'm Sawyer. You're listening to Wild Quincy. Now back to Travis and Chris. Welcome back to Wild Quincy. That return liner, Travis, I think you knew who that was. That would be my daughter, Sawyer. She is uh, 
supposed to be my little daughter Sawyer, but every day she's becoming more and more of a teenager. So it's going to be <laughs> probably the reason why my hair goes from gray to white in an earlier age than it should, Chris. No, I love it. Oh, that's a, that happens. It definitely happens. Uh, so thanks uh, for Sawyer doing that return liner for us. But we got to dig into this episode. Travis, we recently changed our episodes. They were called The Time That Something Happened. We've changed that to kind of make it a little bit easier for people to understand what the episode's about. So obviously this one's the World Freefall Convention, but I do want to throw out that this was called, in my retro titles, it was called The Time That People Were Falling From The Sky. Yeah. Yeah, it's not every day that you look out your window and see people coming down. No, definitely not. But So we got to dig in. We got a lot to cover. So let's jump right in. And Travis, I'm going to ask you a question to start things out. Have you ever heard of the word boogie? Uh, <laughs> um. Only when my kids were small and it was cold and flu season and they, the Kleenexes were plenty. <laughs> that's not even the definition on uh, Webster's Dictionary. <laughs> but yeah, that's a good point. I didn't even think about that. But, you know, Webster's Dic- Dictionary says, hey, boogie is like having to do with dancing in the 70s and stuff like that. Well, that's not even have to do with what we're talking about today because a boogie is actually a term for a large skydiving event where a skydiving center comes alive with the most gathering of unique airplanes, world-class skydivers, and fun nightly activities. So that is the term of boogie. Well, there you go. I've seen the word thrown around in that reference, Chris, but I was curious to get your your clean take on it. And it really made me wonder if it was more of a common term within the skydiving skydiving convention world because you know us common people out in the spectator Land area lovers. we're always calling yeah. it yeah we're calling it the world free fall convention not the boogie but that's what uh, the term was but Travis I want to dig in a little bit here to just some of the some of the different things that were happening and especially you know obviously the core of this was people jumping out of airplanes right and according to a 1990 article in the Quincy Herald Wig skydivers were leaving the plane and jumping out of the plane between 8,000 and 17,000 feet they fall approximately 1,500 to 2,500 feet, which is uh, approximately 69 seconds of falling at the speeds of roughly 180 miles per hour. Mm. And then they open their chutes and slow down to about 120 miles per hour. So that is your overview of what a skydive seems like. That's wild. The other thing I want to hit up real quick here is tandem diving. Tandem diving was a big thing during the World Free Fall Convention. And just to give you a quick overview, pretty much it's when two people jump together in one shoot. And so the good thing about tandem jumping was that one person didn't have to have any experience, but the other person obviously wanted to have experience. Yes, yes. <laughs> but uh, that one person didn't have to have any experience. So just anybody that wanted to come to the World Free Fall Convention could jump in and do this tandem dive and and enjoy and experience what skydiving was all about so do you remember people yeah no that used to be uh, kind of a thing i remember chris is is like someone your parents would know or someone your older siblings would know got brave and did it and that they'd be like the you know the cool dude on the block so to speak because of the crazy tandem jump. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there was always a time where I was when, you know, and we'll talk about this later, but I went to the convention many, many times. Travis, you went to the convention many times. Right. Uh, There were so many times that I was there and I saw the people jumping out, doing the tandem jumps. I was like, man, maybe I'll do that someday. (laughs) And then obviously. Never once did I think that was a good idea, Chris. 
My wife has actually skydived. Really? Uh, in, in Oklahoma. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, years ago. Years ago. Very cool. So, yeah, there are a lot of tandems going on. We're going to get into the stats of how many tandem jumps actually happened uh, coming up a little bit later on. But uh, one other stat I wanted to give you, because this is going to play into some of our later information. And it goes into who can jump. So, right. In 1993, there was an article in the Herald Week that stated that if you had less than 60 jumps, you were not allowed to participate in the convention. So you had to have at least 60 jumps before 1994. And then in 1994, it came along to where they had this group come in called Skydive University, which allowed more people to come in and actually take part in the event. So when Skydive Youth came in, they allowed that you only need to have 25 jumps and you could get some more training and be able to to jump. And if you had less than 25 jumps, then you'd have a skydive you instructor with you when you were jumping. It's like a like you're pretty much uh, cramming for the test, so to speak. <laughs> well, to, to, to able to get on the plane, right? You're just trying to see. I got to make make as many jumps as I can and, and see what happens. But yeah, so more than 25, you were able to jump. Less than 25, you had to have an instructor with you. But it was a way to bring in more people and a way to give them an opportunity to get those jumps in so they could get up to that 60 mark and and be good to go i will point out too and i I don't know if i have this in my notes but i believe and i do we we talk about it later but you actually had to have a license to skydive it was a class b license which is proof that you took the aff training and had those 50 jumps i said 60 before it's actually 50 jumps and you also needed a membership to do the skydive convention stuff but it was like eight bucks it was real cheap so that was kind of an overview of jumping and and how you jump and all that but let's get into the world free fall convention in general and it was founded by two guys and we'll actually go back a little further it was actually founded by another guy and i I apologize i don't have his name on here don curlin was part of that uh, part of that group that founded the world free fall convention he kind of took the reins and leading into the mid 2000s when it moved on it was uh kind of his baby, but also Rob Ebbing was another part of that uh, founding group back in 1990. And Don, you know that name from the Curlin Hallmark name. Uh, He's a well-known name in the Quincy area. The the Curlins are a well-known name in the Quincy area. But Don had a real interest in skydiving and loved skydiving. His goal was always to bring a boogie, Travis, to Quincy someday. And fortunately, he was able to do that. So let's get into the start. And Travis, me and you spent some time just recently at the Quincy Public Library because I said to you, I said, Travis, I do not have enough information. We're going to do some library digging. <laughs> and though I was little to no help, I, you eventually did stumble on, upon uh, upon some great information, Chris. So kudos. Yeah. So the reason I bring that up is because we originally thought, and we may have mentioned this in the last podcast, was that 1990 was the start of the World Freefall Convention. I came across an article and Travis uh, I had you do the digging into this because I was like, I'm not sure if this is accurate or not, but I came across an article in 1990 saying that this is a, it was actually an opinion article saying that this is the uh, been a year since this has happened. So I was like, well, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Eight, that means 89 was the first year this happened. Travis, I had you do some searching through the archives yeah. and you didn't come up with anything. <laughs> it was pretty dry, pretty dry. 89. Yeah. Well, uh, so, so that was one of the indications that maybe there was something else that was going on. Well, I came across another article in 1993 and this was after, unfortunately a death that occurred at one of the free fall conventions. And it actually said that the, there was a first convention in 1986 
Really? So now we're going back even more further back. So that makes sense. A couple, a couple maybe dry runs, so to speak, before the event got to a point of heavy publicity, maybe. Yeah, I could never find the specifics out. I mentioned, I and I apologize. I'll try putting this name up on our Facebook page. There was another guy, I believe, out of the Quad Cities that was involved with Don Curlin early in the event that had a lot to do with that, but he kind of faded out, and that's when Rob Ebbing came in in 1990. I think. The bump really happened in the 90s when this happened. There's another event that happened in 88, though, that we'll get to in a little bit that it makes it sound like it wasn't a dry run necessarily because there was a pretty big event that happened in 1988 that uh, kind of made it sound like it was more than just a couple guys getting together and jumping out of an airplane. But we'll get to that uh, in just a few minutes. So, Travis, you're you're ready to go. You got your skydiving license. You got your Class B license. You've done your 50 jumps. Now it's time to go to the skydive convention, all right? Are you ready? Uh, yes, yes. I'm. My bags okay. are packed. Hopefully my parachute as well. Make sure to bring $170 with you because that'll get you a standard 10-pack skydives here in ten uh, the World Free Fog Edition. Okay. Yeah. So you would, for every $170, you get a 10-pack, so you do 10 jumps. If you wanted to jump out of a helicopter, which was an option, it was $39. If you wanted to jump out of a hot air balloon, $79. And uh, by the way, for, for the common folk like me, because you're the professional, I'm the rookie, well, yeah. uh, $159 was that cost of the tandem jumps. So not too bad. That's not terrible. Now, remember, here's a catch, though, to this. And, and it kind of goes into the how much money was being made for this event. Yeah. <laughs> is that on average, a jumper, a skydiver, would jump five times a day. Jeez. And it's a 10-day event that happens. So you're looking at 50 jumps in a, in, in the 10-day period if they stay for the whole time. You're looking at... Quite a few costs. You're looking at 170 times five for how much was being spent by a skydiver. And that's just for the jumps. That's not the food or right. going into town or buying supplies. So the the income got uh, got up there pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, I can see where that would start piling up. So let's talk about the economic impact. The economic impact, uh, which is something you brought up. You're like, man, I wonder how much of an impact yeah. this actually had. And you, I will, I will call you out a little bit because... Um, I've had some experience. I, I've been in government and I've been in chamber of commerce world. So I kind of have a little bit of background in how they figure these numbers up. Your thoughts were they're just blowing some number out your Yeah, you know what. I, I don't have nearly the finger on the pulse from, from that standpoint where you bring a lot more to the table. So it was interesting to hear your take on it, Chris. Yeah, and, and so let me talk about that a little bit. So a lot of times what will happen is is when a, is a city bases their information off of tax revenue. So if you, have, you, you don't have an event in one year and you have X amount of dollars in tax revenue for that month and you do have an event the next year, you have more tax revenue, you can see what your difference is in tax revenue and kind of get an idea of how much in, how much of an increase that event has brought to your community. Well, we do have some stats to throw at you. In 91, it was estimated between uh, 1 million and 1.75 million of an economic impact for the city of Quincy. So a huge economic impact. Right. Um, it, it, of course, uh, some of that was due to stays in hotels. Some of the skydivers would stay in hotels. But the biggest increase was actually from restaurants. And there's multiple news stories from the Herald Wig back in the early 90s talking about how restaurants would get extremely busy and extremely packed because if you had all these 
skydivers coming in and enjoying the revenue or enjoying the restaurants. I, I came across one story talking about how the skydivers loved coming to Quincy because the restaurants and the food was always like their home cooking. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, the, so there's a quote that actually says that in the airport area that you had a city as large as most of the other cities in Quincy or in Adams County during that time. So the population of Baldwin Field was as big uh, as big as actually one of the biggest cities in Adams County. So just think about how many people are coming to Quincy during that time period. It's kind of crazy. That's a lot going on. That's a lot going on right there. Yeah. So have I, have I packed you up enough with information there? I, I feel like I'm well-informed and ready to, to get to the good stuff. Well, there's six more pages in my in my outline <laughs> here, Travis. That was page one. <laughs> so I'm going to try to get through this as fast as possible. So I apologize. There is an option on your podcast player that you can slow us down. <laughs> So you may want to do that. Or speed us um, up, probably. Yeah, 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 or speed us up. But Unless you really like numbers. You just want to just take it all in. You bring up a good point, Travis. I do have a very cool Excel sheet that breaks down all the numbers for each year. So it talks about how many skydivers were registered, how many um, how many takeoffs, how many landings, all that stuff. We'll have that on our website. I'll, we'll have you post that on the website because it's Sounds some pretty good. cool information that I, I was able to break down. I'll unfortunately, I'll also talk about the injuries and fatalities as well. We'll talk about that coming up in a few minutes. But first, let's talk about just kind of doing an overview of the years. So... When I did this research, I was I started in 1990, and then after reading these newspaper articles, I found out, well, I should have started in 86, but unfortunately, I didn't start in 86, I started in 1990. So we're going to kind of start in 90 with like the bulk of the information. So in 1990, just to give you some overviews of each year, in 90, the C-130 airplane was a special attraction at the convention. Also a Douglas DC-3, which by the way, was once owned by John Travolta. How about that? Yeah. And so, interestingly enough, here we'll throw out another little bit of information. If you are on Broadway someday in Quincy and you look across and you see John Travolta in another car and you say, that's no way that's John Travolta. It could be John Travolta because he is known to come to Quincy quite often. Uh, So keep that in mind. And I do want to also throw out Travis because I thought this was kind of coincidence and very ironic, but I'll give him a shout out as well. I was reading these articles, came across an article where my aunt... And two cousins were interviewed while they were out at the uh, World Freefall Convention. And uh, my cousin Becky said she would be willing to do it. My cousin Lindsay said, heck no, I'm not going to get into an airplane (laughs) and skydive. And so I did ask her on Facebook uh, just today. I said, are you still not doing it? And she's like, no, I'm still not doing it. So Yeah, it's a hard pass for me. (laughs) Uh, By the way, in 1990, things that spectators could do, the bungee jump was there. Actually, this is 1991. The bungee jump was added. You could do a bungee jump for $59. Do you remember that being there? I do, vaguely. Now that you say that, the memories are coming back. Yeah, that was another thing. I was like, "Mm, I might want to try that, and I never did it. Uh, Also, the interesting thing about 1991 was this was the first time a bad storm came through. Mm. And this one was an interesting one and obviously if you if you know me or you've heard me talk about it, i'm kind of a weather geek uh so when i was reading this i got pretty pretty excited but they had recorded 75 mile per hour winds at quincy regional airport at 5 30 p.m on august 18th of 1991 and this caused significant damage out there it caused a lot of the tents to be uh 
to fall over. There was debris flying everywhere. Ended up 10 people were injured. Several people, Travis, actually believe that it was a tornado. They swear they saw a tornado come oh. through at that time, which is 75 mile per hour winds. It's That's completely possible. That's not where you want to be in that situation, Chris. In a middle <laughs> no, of a tent city. Yeah. Exactly, with no with no hard shelter to be at at all. That's so rough. Good lord. Honestly, with 75 mile per hour winds, it's very fortunate that you only had yeah. 10 injuries. It could have been a lot worse. Good night. So we moved on to 92. Some cool things about 1992 were the planes that were added. A B-17 bomber was added to jump out of, as well as a Huey helicopter. They also had six turbine aircraft, <clears throat> as well as the C-130 and the DC-3 were there as well. But the big... The big thing that everybody got excited about was the Boeing 727. Now, that's a pretty significant aircraft in the world of aviation, Chris. A certain fellow in the, the Pacific Northwest made a potential haul, correct? Yes, and it's funny that you bring that up because my next thing is a quote from Don Curlin in the paper in 1992 that says, Only one person has ever jumped out of a 727 jet, and that is hijacker D.B. Cooper 20 years ago back in 1971. That was still pretty fresh. I didn't put two and two together, but yeah, that was still in the headlines, I bet. Interestingly enough, uh, Don Curlin comes back to say that he is now D.B. Cooper number two because he was the second person ever to jump out of a Boeing 727. How about that? Yeah. Okay. So There's lots cool. of YouTube videos of that that specific jump from uh, all the participants in their VHS head cams and everything else back in the day. So we'll snag a few yeah. of those and put them on our, our uh, webpage, our, web, our, webpage, yeah, our blog page. Yeah, there's some very cool... Yeah. Yeah, there's some very cool videos out there uh, that there's some there's a short three minute one that was really cool to see. One of the problems with the 727, you get all these people that are able to do it. It's over 200 people that can be in the plane to jump out. The problem is that you only have one door and it's a small door in the back yeah. of the plane. So what happens, and Don Curlin actually explains this in the paper, is that because the jet door is small, skydivers are going to land all over the area. <laughs> right. And that's what happens in 1992 and, and years after that when the 727 is available. So uh, so that was one of the big highlights. Uh, the 727s of Michigan could hold over 200 skydivers. The cost to jump out of the 727, only $55 per jump. There was a one-time per day limit though so you could only jump out of the 727 once per day and uh by the way as i mentioned quincy the only place not only in the united states but the only place in the world that you could jump out of the 727 that's pretty impressive you know that's a that's a big deal if you're a skydiver uh so uh real quick too here in 92 tandem jumps were a little bit cheaper 140 dollars. you could bungee jump for 49 you got helicopter rides for 18 dollars Hot air balloons were $125, and then the cool thing that I always wanted to do again, never did it, I regret it from this day, is the human gyro machine. Do you remember <laughs> this, Travis? Yeah, yes, yes, I do. It was designed by NASA to simulate weightlessness, and what you did is you got into this big cylinder, and then the air would push up like at 150, 180 miles per hour, and you get lifted up in the air, and you could act like you were free falling uh, from the sky. A very cool thing, but I never did it, Travis, I'm guessing you... You never got to No, I was definitely a a watcher and not a participator in these events. By the way, $15 for a VIP pass that got you back in the, uh, I'm not going to say 
what the name of that place is till we get later on, but back where the other skydivers were at, uh, that changed in the years to come. 93, they did add a new spectator attraction of uh, biplanes for $25. You could ride a biplane, which would have been really cool. The 727 made a return in 93. There was also concerns, obviously 93, you're looking at uh, August of 93, Right during the prime time of all the flooding that happened in July, you're still having that happen. There was a lot of concern that not many people were going to show up, and that kind of was the case uh, to an extent, but it got better as the week went on, and other skydivers that were there were like, hey, come here, the the airport's not flooded. So you did have a, a pretty decent number coming towards the end of the week for 93, but there was concerns about the flooding, and obviously Quincy had a lot going on in 93 yeah. as well. So at 94, uh, they had... 12 fixed wings, three helicopters, and three hot air balloons. The Boeing 727 made its return. Also, uh, this was a cool one. The Family Channel Blimp was brought into Quincy. I remember that. You remember that? Yeah, yeah. Skydivers got the chance to jump from it. There wow. was a, a lottery that was made. Uh, I think they only had six that were able to jump from it. But there was a lottery opportunity, and so six skydivers got to jump from the Family Channel blimp. Also that year, the Discovery Channel did a uh, did filming for a documentary that aired huh. that fall. Wasn't able to find that. I did search for that today. I was not able to find that documentary. So if you come across it, head to our Facebook page or send us an email and, and see if you can send us a link because I'd love to see that. Real quick, 94, spectator attractions. The wind tunnel was only $16. Helicopter rides, $16. Had the hot air balloons still. Did the tandem jumps. And then there was a new thing that I didn't hear any more information about, and I don't remember at all, called the Sky Coaster. I do not remember that one at all, but that was a new attraction that they had going on in 1994. All right, so we're getting there, Travis. (laughs) Whoa, we're we're knee deep, Chris. Yeah, 95. So 95 was a unique year because the rainfalls were so bad. The city of Quincy had to spread hundreds and hundreds of tons of gravel to make temporary streets for the skydivers in the skydiving area. Uh, For the first time ever, the 727 jet dropped skydivers out from 30,000 feet. Usually, as I mentioned before, usually it's somewhere between 8,000 and 17,000, but there was some special jumps that were all the way up to 30,000 feet where they jumped out. This is also kind of a new attachment to the skydive convention. was the first year that the National Guard, which the National Guard was always in charge of the air traffic control during that time period. But in 1995, it was the first year that the National Guard was actually able to bring a radar unit to keep an eye on the aircraft that were in the skies during that time. So before that, it was all visual. But now they had a radar to where if there was cloudiness or there was some sort of visibility issue, they could actually guide them in by instrument back into the airport. Big deal, I think, on the safety side. Yeah, You're right. Spectator events, wind tunnel, the Orbitron space ball, trampoline thing, paintball, paintball, by the way. Paintball? (laughs) Yeah, they had a paintball with like four courses. Uh, Rides on a hovercraft, hot air balloons, helicopters, and antique biplanes. And uh, by the way, this we're starting to get into the heyday of where there was a lot of volume of people skydiving and registered skydivers. Because every year that you get into this event, more and more skydivers were coming. And in 95, it was estimated that... A plane was taking off or landing every one minute and 35 seconds during the convention. That's pretty crazy. Gives you a really good idea of how busy it actually was. Uh, 96 96 wasn't 
bad year. <laughs> and the reason being was because skydiving injuries skyrocketed. And hmm. Blessing Hospital actually reported that there was 34 total injuries, which was double the reported from 1994. This was also the first time, which I find this so amazing, it was the first time in the convention's history that an ambulance was actually stationed at the airport. So leading up to 96, there was not not an ambulance there. Wow. Yeah, crazy, right? I mentioned 1 minute, 35 seconds, and 95, and 96 is 1 minute and 18 seconds there was a plane taking off. Or Jeez. landing at the airport. Uh, we're getting a little bit more into a little bit condensed stats here. 97, registered skydivers continued to climb, beating the previous record by uh, previous year by over 1,200 people. I don't have that number right in front of me, but it, it was very high. 1998, uh, there was some uh, interesting stats that were released that were never released before. <laughs> 1998, they did do a blood drive every year, and there were 76 units of blood donated that year. There was also 503 tandem jumps made which travis i told you that before that was the most ever for any year there was never that many tandem jumps really? made until 1998 and that that record actually stood throughout the rest of the huh. the time in quincy and also the most interesting stat was that there was 434 kegs of beer drank during <laughs> that year <laughs> we're starting to get a feel for the wild part of the event, <laughs> the, I think, right. Chris. The wild backside. Yes. Um, so, so yeah, so that's going to be your 1998 stats. 1999, most jumps made in the history of the World Free Fall Convention in one day. Uh, or no, I'm sorry, for the whole time was 69,000 jumps. There were 69,000 jumps made in 1999. That record uh, that year was the biggest year ever. And uh, not so much the biggest year ever, but 412 kegs of beer was drank that year. Okay, well, we're doing good on the beer the beer consumption part. 2000, another severe storm swept through. 11 people were injured. Uh, there was a wind report. It was around 35 miles per hour, so not as bad as 1990. But about two-thirds, excuse me, about a third of the tents, which were there was about 65 tents in the main tent area, were knocked down. Uh, and there were, like I said, 11 injuries. Also, high-speed passes in a CASA, which I had to look up what a CASA was. It's another type of plane. It's actually a, sp- a Spanish plane. It's also known as the C-212. And they made high-speed passes, so you they flew by really quick, and you had to jump out as they were flying by really quick. Yeah, as if it's not stressful enough already. <laughs> to just jump out? Right. <laughs> Media attention. This was kind of interesting, Travis. In 2000... Before that, so you have 10 years of, of newspaper coverage about the, about the what's happening. Obviously, you have some of the bad instances where there were deaths or yeah. injuries, but most of the time it had to do with, oh, look, uh, Aunt Sally went to the World Freefall Convention, and Grandma, Grandma Shirley made her first ever jump at 69 years old. It was all fluff pieces. Yeah, sure. But there was a transition in 2000, really? and the transition was safety. Okay. So there's actually two news articles in the time period in 2000 where they were safety-oriented news articles. One of them, in fact, was titled, Think You Can Sneak Into the World Freefall Convention? Question <laughs> mark. So it's a whole story about the police presence and the security and how they had thermal thermal imaging devices and all this stuff to prevent people from getting into the back area of the World Freefall Convention. It was a hot ticket. It was a hot ticket to get It was. There. there is another part of this, and I don't know if I mentioned this or not, uh, but they for so many years it was 
like I believe it was up to 95, 96, you could get in like with a pass. You could get a VIP pass for like 15 bucks and you can yeah. go into the back area. That changed later on to where you they were not allowing people from the regular spectators to go to the back. You had to be either a skydiver, uh, work for one of the businesses back there, or you had to be like security or something else. That was the only ways you could get back there. So obviously it was a, as you mentioned, a high ticket item because everybody wanted to get back into the back area and you couldn't anymore because they eliminated that option for just the regular Joe to go back to those areas. Which made it even more of an appealing challenge for the people that wanted to get back there, I would imagine. Right, right, right. So that was 2000. 2001, so so you had all that happen, okay? And we're going to talk later about some of the other instances that happened. But in 2001, all of a sudden, boom, attendance just bottoms out. And it's actually about half of what it was in 2001. So in 2000, you had 5,700, over 5,700 skydivers. In 2001, you had 3,200 skydivers. What what happened? So we'll get to that, but it goes to what I was just kind of saying. Yeah. <laughs> about, the, um, about the security. Um, so we'll talk about that in just a few minutes uh, here. As we're really running late on time, <laughs> I've barely gotten through this. World, there was a lot of world record attempts that happened during this time period, and I want to mention this one real quick. 1988, we mentioned that we didn't have a lot of information. We thought it happened in 1990, but in 1988 was actually the year that the city of Quincy or the Baldwin Field received the world record from the Guinness Book of World Records for their formation dive that they had, where they actually had 144 skydivers in a formation. Uh, it took 11 attempts for them to do that. That, but the record actually held until 1992 when it was topped by a 200-person formation in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. So it held for four years. I'm not going to go through all these. We're gonna. I'm actually going to put this whole outline on on our website as well, so everybody can read through all this. There was so many attempts in 90, 91, 92, 93, 94, 95, and even in 2000, there was always some sort of world record attempt that was that was trying to to happen. Uh, there was one. That uh, there was quite a few that actually succeeded, but there was always attempts that happened, and none of them got back into the actual world, uh, the Guinness Book of World Records. There was one cool one in '93. It was called the Star Quest '93, and where they were trying to make a star with 60 people. <clears throat> Unfortunately, they didn't weren't able to do that one as well. Uh, but there was a lot of attempts, but not really a lot of succession on those. So, okay. But we'll have all those because we're running short on time. <laughs> It's a whole page. We'll skip that, and you can check that out on uh, our, our uh, website, uh, wildquincy.com. I do want to talk about this, though, deaths real quick, because that is a big part of the skydive convention. So we start with 1986, Travis. It was before 1990, and it was 1986. We had, on August 16th, Jay Zavoris, 36 of Los Angeles, and Mark Bringman, 25 of Fremont, California, died when their parachutes became tangled, and they plunged 100 feet to the ground. In 1993, which was August 14th, two skydivers were breaking away from formation when they collided with each other when their chutes opened up. Uh, Craig Sharp received serious injuries, was transported blessing. The injuries consisted of broken leg, hip, arm, ribs, back, and separated collarbone he spent five weeks in the hospital i love this quote he said quote it was great to get in the wheelchair after being on his back for four weeks but you can't get around too good with one leg and one arm you go in a circle 
I guess that's accurate, but boy, that's a little dark. It's yeah. just so, he's just so lighthearted about it. He just had this whole horrible thing happen, and he comes back and says, well, it's great to be in a wheelchair finally, but I'm going around in circles. <laughs> Uh, unfortunately, so that was the, the lighter side of it. Unfortunately, it wasn't such a light, lighter side. And that was John Hastings, 37 years old. He was pronounced dead on the scene due to massive head injuries in that collision with Craig Sharp. They said both men were knocked unconscious. Unfortunately, uh, Hastings just uh, wasn't able to control his can his his uh he passed out and yeah. he obviously yeah. received those massive head injuries, so it was tough for him. But Sharp, he he didn't he wasn't as bad for Sharp, but he did fall to the ground but like we said he was able to recover and came back the next year and did 20 jumps in nineteen. good for him man i mean get back on the horse i guess unfortunately though so that article came out on august 5th then on august 6th the day after that article came out doug deeker 38 of sunnyvale california crash landed and died in the hospital he hooked up his parachute backwards and what happened was it, everything was going fine. And they say that's actually not uncommon to do that. It, I mean, it's a little rare, but it's not uncommon. Uh, but it's, what happened was he didn't realize it was backwards. And then when he got close to the ground, he made a really hard turn all of a sudden. And when you have a hard turn when you're backwards with your parachute, it really it, it intensifies whatever move you made. So when he made that move, he he slid really quick and ended up hitting a um, camper that was in the oh, back man. of the uh, of, of the airport area. So he had close to 200 jumps before that happened too. So that's uh, and a lot of these guys I'm going to talk about they had more than 150 or 200 Veterans, jumps yeah. when this happens. Yeah. yeah. So it's not like it's these rookies that's happened. Right. At, in 1996, on August 6, a 47 year old James Hammock of Sequin, Texas, died of injuries when colliding with another driver as their parachutes opened. He landed in a field across Highway 104 from the airport. Then a day later, 46 year old Harold Fisher from Toledo, Ohio, was found in a small inflatable swimming pool near tent city this is not a skydiving incident this is a yeah. other sort of incident he was pronounced dead at 1055 by the corner it's the first and only non-skydiving related death that happened at the airport and that again was in 1996 uh by the way as i mentioned before 96 was the worst year for injuries the blessing reporting 34 injuries that year couple more 97 august 2nd 27 year old luis herrera died during surgery at blessing hospital he was injured while attempting to land near the plainville blacktop about a mile south of 104 the accident occurred across the road from pleasant grove church Herrera was attempting to avoid power lines right next to the road and when he did that he landed on a steep hill breaking both of his legs and by the way lewis had 413 jumps to his credit Man. August 3rd, 58-year-old Bob Searles of Pullman, Washington, died in surgery at Springfield Memorial Hospital. Searles made a sudden turn close to the ground, lost control. And um, I, I apologize, uh, Doug Deeker wasn't the one that hit the uh, camper. It was actually this guy, Bob Searles, that hit the camper when he lost control. And um, he had 202 parachute jumps on to his credit. I do want to bring up this guy real quick. It's not a death, but it's actually a... a miraculous event michael vetterman he collided with another parachute another skydiver 80 feet in the air he lost control of his parachute and went straight into the pavement and 
he said it was nearly face down. Good lord. He had a bro he broke both of his femurs, both knees, left kneecap, left elbow, lower and upper jaw, nose, eye socket and more and also lost 19 teeth, but he survived. Jeez. If you want to learn more about this, he actually has a website still up it's called deadmike.com. <laughs> so you can check out his website because he's pretty lighthearted about what happened and he explains it in detail so you can check that out. Also, uh, the same year 97, a skydiver was hit by a car while walking near the airport and another one suffered a leg injury when he landed on the pavement instead of the grass and the final one that i have is a 1998 death of a 29 year old jerry lotus he died when his parachute failed to open that happened on august 14th travis there was one more fatality that occurred and it was either 2000 or 2001 i do not have the stats on me i actually found this really cool uh i don't know if you want to call it a what are those things that those uh that the graduate students do thesis a thesis i think it's a thesis it's available online but i had to send an email to the, the person that wrote it to see if i can get access to it i haven't got it but i did find from that abstract that there was one fatality and it was either in 2000 or 2001 unfortunately like i said i don't have which year that was or any information on that right all right travis i know we're getting wow i'm really heavy on time <laughs> So I apologize. But I'm, just a few more things here. Some quick stats. During the convention, skydivers averaged five jumps per day, as I mentioned. According to Don Kirkland, this is a really cool stat. The World Freefall Convention was three times bigger than the next largest convention held in Europe and ten times bigger than the next largest convention in the United States. Wow, that's huge. For many years, Quincy was the second busiest airport in Illinois during the convention, as well as being in the top 20 in the U.S. during that time period. And by 1994, the World Free Fall Convention was making more jumps in one day than any other convention the United States would make during their whole event. Man, that's, that's so wild. Big. Well, and that's great that you say wild, Travis, because now we're getting to the wild part. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> Think that all was not wild. Just to wait for this. So, Travis, what do you do if it's raining or it's real cloudy? <laughs> what do I do or what did they do? Is it, well, what questions. did they yeah. do? So, obviously, you're not skydiving in those you situations. you got the whole day ahead of you. You don't need a really razor-sharp focus or uh, yeah. sobriety well, of any variety, I suppose. Well, here's what you do, Travis. So, okay. you can go into town. A lot of guys, a lot of people that were uh, taking part in the festivities go in town to go to the restaurants, go to the stores. You could wait till night, do a night jump. That was a, a thing. Uh, actually, up till 1995, Curlin uh, told the Quincy Herald Wig that they stopped doing those in 95 because there was just too many people. But before that, they did those. Okay. Or, or Travis, you can enjoy some time in Tent City. Oh, Tent City. You, you let the cat <laughs> out of the bag, Chris. There it is. I'm the thing I've been holding off for the whole time. So, uh, Tent City had special entertainment, and I put special in quotes. Every night. This may be where the family friendly. We'll keep it going family friendly, but small ears may want to avoid. Yeah, I, I, there's nothing any too harsh in here. There was events. Obviously, early on, there was a lot of concerts. Uh, there was a bluegrass concert that took place there. A lot of different bands came in and did did a lot of things in there. But there was also some other things, maybe like a, a t-shirt contest. Um, <laughs> that's probably one of the yeah, the little less offensive. That's things. that's being light. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> 
Uh, a 96 article reported that Tent City was one of Adams County's largest towns. I thought this was kind of cool. So they have gravel pathways and roads. They were all named after notable people like D.B. Cooper or even geographical locations like the Drop Zone Lane or Quincy Street. So all those roads had names. I didn't realize that. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Had public transportation. Uh, the skydivers could get on a small trailer hauled by pickup trucks and they'll drive them to the loading zone so they didn't have to walk. It had its own radio station, which uh, was heavy on classic rock. It had its own business district, complete with services for skydivers such as sewing, laundry, obviously food with things like cappuccinos and ostrich burgers. And you could actually rent a golf cart out there as well and drive around. So that's your that's your tent city, yeah. <laughs> to yeah. put lightly. Did you ever get back there, Travis? Uh, yeah, I uh, not. <laughs> I was in a in a formal capacity. No, I was working at County Market. During one of, I can't tell you what year it was, um, probably the late 90s. And as one of the business districts, so to speak, County Market had basically a small version of a grocery store. You know, they brought mm. out pallets and built the floor and all the, the goodies. And on multiple occasions, I had to run help restock or something, the uh, the tent city. And it was in the daytime, so things were pretty, pretty tame. But... <laughs> You could see where things might get a little wild. <laughs> I was in the same boat. Uh, I, when I was in that time period, I worked for Lakeview Restaurants, and we had a bar set up out there uh, with some specialty, specialty alcohol and specialty stuff. I went out there once. I, I went to the back and, and set up stuff, but I, I never spent, never was there during the night. Yeah. But I heard it got pretty crazy back there. Yeah, I heard the same. As a Twitter follower, Tony Cameron said, let's just say it was a good weekend to make sure your teenage daughter was out of town. Yeah. <laughs> well put, Tony. Well, well put. put. So you have the craziness of Tent City, but one of the other things was that you know, Travis, all the newspaper articles and advertisements I found always stated that the skydiving started at 8 a.m. That's when yeah. the skydiving started. Yeah. That's not true. <laughs> <laughs> what, what pre tell would they do before that time, Chris? Yeah, so, uh, Travis, they had two things. They had naked skydiving that oh. happened, as well as lingerie skydiving that happened before a.m. Okay, chafing, I would think, would be a problem. I, I, I guess so. But uh, mm. that was some things that happened early in the early morning hours before the spectators would come out and enjoy the normal stuff. But what gets me is when you go off course a little bit during the naked skydive or the lingerie skydive, just picture your picturesque Midwest, you know, probably farm family, you know, getting up with the morning breakfast and here come naked people <laughs> falling from the sky so you had that going on i mentioned this earlier the 2000 police uh crackdown if you will when things started getting this obviously was all happening there was a lot of stuff going on in the background there was a 97 there was 40 security officers on 24-hour patrol as well as the quincy police department Adams county sheriff's office state police they were all patrolling the areas in 2000 so going back to kind of taming the wild if you will yeah. of tent city that was the city and the county and the state's effort to to do that so we go to the last piece of this and that is the death of the world free fall convention because we know it's not around today no. so something had to happen yeah. So let's talk about what happened. 2000 was a beautiful year for them. Uh, 2000, there was 5,700 skydivers registered. And all of a sudden, 2001, you had 3,200 registered. What what happened? Well, according to Skystream.com, the decline is due to poor economic conditions as well as the high police presence by the city. In that same article, it's noted that 13 arrests were made and that drug-sniffing dogs were 
everywhere. They were in the tents. They were going through all the private tents. They were just there was a presence everywhere, and that the boiling point was when a skydiver was actually arrested for resisting arrest. Now, this report, according to the witnesses, a man was carrying a bare-breasted woman piggyback. When they were approached by officers, the witnesses said that officers used unnecessary force on the man. A skydiver intervened between the officer and the woman and was arrested for interfering or obstructing justice. Now, I couldn't find it, Travis, but somewhere in the World Wide Web, there is a video of this encounter that is available. Yeah. I couldn't find it. I don't know if you've you've heard about it. I saw the link, the the reference, but I, I didn't see it either, Chris. Not sure yeah. if it's even available. If you find that, let us know. But uh, there, that kind of spread everything, and so there were so many more complaints by skydivers of br- police brutality and local law enforcement being out of line. With many stating they would not return to Quincy after 2000, and, and so that's why obviously you saw a 2,000 person decline with the skydive convention. In late 2000, Don Curlin brought on a lawsuit against the city of Quincy on grounds that they were overzealous police that were harming their businesses. The lawsuit claimed that the city needed to reimburse Don Curlin and the World Free Fall Convention for 250000 for capital improvements done to the airport and 50000 for businesses lost during the 2001 convention because of excessive and unreasonable policing, policing, excuse me. The city looked to dismiss the lawsuit and actually wanted to countersue the World Free Fall Convention for 45000 because they didn't pay for the police and the fire protection. That's kind of a catch-22. By the way, just mention real quick, the five-year agreement between the city and the World Free Fall Convention ended in 2001. So kind of ironic that that was the yeah. case. Yeah. Uh, eventually, the lawsuit was dropped by Curlin, and the event, of course, ended in Quincy but moved to Rantoul, Illinois. Real quick here, in 2002, the World Free Fall Convention moved, but it really never was the same. In 2002, the registered skydivers was 2,562 registered skydivers, that was. They did have two fatalities, and so there was a little resentment as well. Freefall.com, which provided a lot of stats about the these various years of the World Free Fall Convention, they did a yearly review every year of the World Free Fall Convention, and in the first year after leaving Quincy, it was pretty PC, if you know, politically correct, of how yeah, they were saying, you know, well, we're sad that we're leaving Quincy and we're excited to move to Rantoul. However, in 2003, the feelings changed a little bit. <laughs> the title of the 2003 review was So Much Fun, It Should Be Illegal. And then in uh, parentheses, it says, and in Quincy, it probably would be. Oh, boy. <laughs> And then the other thing about this, also in the review, said this town and DZ are much better place than the Q place, and it seems to get better every year. And then the Rantoul event happened until 2007, and then uh, after that, it was ended by Don Curlin. And that is the history, ladies and gentlemen, of the World Free Fall Convention. Travis, any thoughts? It, you know, it sounds like growth was just, its success was its own doom, it sounds like, regardless of, of whose side you take on the whole city versus you know the the free fall organization you know, organizers i think when you get that big in such a small combined area the legend of tent city and you know the the residents want that policed but that that's what's brought in all these participants i mean these are people you know adrenaline junkies who were they jumped out of yeah. playing 10 times that day they probably got adrenaline rushing through their vein you mix in a little bit of ice here and there and you know things are going to happen yeah. and I'm not saying it was right or wrong, but it is what it was, and it's no longer that, I guess you could say. Yeah, you really question. I mean, I get it. You you 
you have these guys that are obviously going to be doing stuff like that because they're already doing crazy stuff in skydiving, as right. you mentioned. Yeah. But yeah. it's like, all right, so, I mean, I guess I understand where the city is coming from because you have, obviously you have all this economic income coming in. You have this, sure. you have huge tax revenues coming in from this sort of event, but obviously law and order has to take precedence over yeah. making money for the city. So I, I get it. Well, Chris, we were talking briefly the other day about speculating on, could this event come back? I mean, you look at how things have changed on things. Well, things have changed so much on many different fronts. If you look at, I mean, the drug sniffing dogs, obviously it seems like marijuana was one of the heavy things that were utilized of the vices um, where that wouldn't be as much of an issue now with the recent legislation changes. True. But, you know, vice versa, you had a good point, Chris. Remind me what that was. Yeah, on, you uh, know, the last event that happened in Quincy was in August of 2001. And every single person that lives in the United States and in the world knows what happened in September of 2001. And so, right. obviously, there was a big crackdown on uh, airport security following September 11th. And so then you have to think about the layout of Quincy Regional Airport and Baldwin Field all those skydivers were in restricted, what is now restricted area. You cannot get into that area unless you have a plane ticket to get on a plane. And even so, you have to stay between the yellow lines. No normal Joe, a regular Joe, is going to be able to walk freely in that airport area. That's a restricted area. And that's not not to, that's not against the Quincy Airport or anything like that. That's FAA regulations. And that's Homeland Security regulations saying that you can't do that. So where are you going to put 5,000 people. There's no place to put 5,000 people outside of those fences that are at Re- the Quincy Airport these days, unless unless you find a field off to the, off the side somewhere. Well, even then, it's probably still going to be growing corn at that point in the you know, August, July. Yeah, you know, you say that, and it's, it's kind of funny, because I think that's all accurate, Chris. I think maybe, I wonder if maybe the rules are bent a little bit now and again. About four years ago, uh, the Quincy Aviation Group was having an open house. It was like a Father's Day, Mother's Day weekend with a pancake breakfast. And the gates were wide open, and we were just walking around on the tarmac. Oh, wow. And it was probably the weirdest, shadiest feeling event I've ever been to, Chris. Well, maybe not that. But the fact that for 40 bucks, my four-year-old son and I could g- get a plane ride. <laughs> and, and he was... Literally, like holding the yolk, like flying oh, wow. the plane, and I am nervous. Well, that's pretty cool. I have a video of of, of a three year old son in the front seat with like a college student, you know, in a plane, <laughs> doing laps around Quincy. Oh, wow. I'm like, was this a bad idea in the back seat? But so, I mean, yeah, I think there's probably some exceptions. Yeah. But but you make a good point. All the whole the whole idea of security and everything mm-hmm. else, it makes me wonder. I mean, if if there was a location, I don't know. I think it has so much stigma around yeah. it. That it probably could never be what it was. Yeah, no. And, and again, I didn't bring... I talked about this a little bit, but every single year leading up to 2001, actually 2000, it, every single year you had a growth because 93 had 1900, and then 94, 26, and then 34, and 39, 46, 47, 54, 5,700 people. I mean, every year you had a growth in how many skydivers were getting registered, and then 2001 hits and boom, 30,244. So, yeah. and then again, that wasn't so... September 11th, because this was all before September 11th. It right. was just a factor right. of everything going on. And again, I, I that's an interesting thought, Travis. And I think we're going to hit that up more on the Patreon. Is talking about with the laxed laws with with marijuana use these days. I kind of wonder if 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 things would maybe work a little bit better. Um, you also have to put into consideration yeah. is that I mean I get it that there was say. 
10,000 people or more in Tent City. And I get there's 432 kegs of beer being drink or drank, but I it I don't know. You got the alcohol aspect of this all too that you yeah. know, it makes yeah. it tough that even if you didn't have the marijuana aspect and, and the drug use aspect, you still had you still had these people, and unfortunately, even in '96, I think it was, you had the guy who who died, uh, and probably from some alcohol-related incident. One would think. Yeah. So it's yeah. There's a lot of a lot of question marks on that. But Travis, I know we're going to talk a lot more about this on Patreon because I didn't even get into my brother worked at it's the airport during this time period. Right. <laughs> um, so I know he has some stories that I can I can pass along, and we have a lot more to cover. So make sure you. I, I don't want to plug. It too much and i don't want you to feel uh, like you're required to but there's a lot of stories i think travis and i are going to have when we get to the patreon side of things so make sure to check us out on Patreon. and we want to hear your side of the story too listeners wildquincy at gmail.com is where you can email us or you can also call our listener line at 612-666-9453 that's 612-666-WILD We'd love to hear your thoughts and reminiscence on this. And, uh, you know, we were only a small piece of the puzzle, a lot of firsthand encounters and events, and just memories, good and bad, of the family having a nice picnic up there in the spectator area, like, you know, my own family. So, you know, for the good and the bad, this was definitely an f- infamous and famous event in Quincy that was huge throughout the world. And definitely worth talking about here. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is a look at the World of Free Fall Convention, or also known as the time those guys fell from the sky. I listen to Wild Quincy, and I'm super cool. Jeffy Dixon has given his managers a challenge. Sell all remaining 88 Cutlass Supremes. That's right, 18 Cutlass Supremes in four days. The managers have gone to work, and you'll miss out on the action if you don't act now. Each Cutlass has $1,000 cash back from the factory, and Jaffe will match it. That's $2,000 advantage. Plus, if you're a Cougar or T-Bird owner, you could get $100 for a test drive. On top of all the savings, the prices of each Cutlass will be marked down each day until all 18 are gone. Don't miss the Cutlass blowout at Jaffe Dixon's World of Cars on Broadway in Quincy. There's an old one, 1988 Jappy Dixon. What a name. Travis. What a name. Yeah. Surely that wasn't actually his real name, Jappy, you think? I think it was. I, I think it was Jack. That could I think be. it was Jack Dixon. Damn, that's I a good name, though. You don't hear that enough. No, he no. seemed like quite a character. Lots of stories on Facebook through the different, you grew up in Quincy, Illinois, pages about Jappy Dixon and people recalling his car lot. Yeah, and that's why we actually wanted to do this ad. I have had this ad sitting in my folder for a couple months now, and I didn't know a lot of information, and just by accident, I was skimming through Facebook one day, and I saw this huge post on, uh, uh, as you mentioned, you know you grew up in Quincy, Illinois, if, and I was like, oh, well, here's all the information, because I didn't have a lot of information on them. Um, yeah. So just to throw it out, it was a it was an Oldsmobile, and as well as, I believe, Chrysler, and then they added Toyota later on, dealer. The cool spot is about where they were located, Travis, and it kind of is a throwback uh, to uh, our Jack's throwback ad, and that was because Jappy Dixon was actually located right there where the Shopco is now today, uh, or the old building Formerly, for Shopco yeah. was at. And so it was right there on Broadway. People are just, uh, were so, like, had so much good stuff to say about that 
company. Uh, they were saying stuff. I don't know what you saw, but I saw things. They were talking about how that um, you know he was such a big supporter of Blue Devil football yeah, and yeah. Uh, of, of all sports, and uh, they did car washes all the time. And uh, so it was really cool to see that. And then also he was also always telling people how proud he was or he was always touting about his uh he had some sort of uh, some sort of certificate about being a like this high-ranked toyota oh, really? mechanic or something um so yeah i don't know did you see anything on there i don't i mean yeah uh, mo- most flavors like that chris on on the comments but there were 235 <laughs> and that's saying something from a car dealership you know from 1988 in quincy that that many people were familiar and had stories to say just shows what a, what a huge you know figure this was in Quincy. I mean, everybody's got to get a car at some point. Usually, we were busy buying Hot Wheels at that time, Chris. But and <laughs> yeah. then defacing them with whiteout and and markers, <laughs> racing them. But uh, yeah, exactly. So so no, it was it was a nice throwback. And hopefully, some of you guys might remember Jappy Dixon, and uh, yeah. let us know about him. You know, wildquincy@gmail.com. We don't know a lot about the man. Yeah, um, uh, but also he sold Winnebago's at one point in I time. I did see which that. Probably yeah. might have been the only Winnebago dealer in Adams County or even West Central Illinois for that matter. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, pretty cool. Had it going on in the world that. of cars. Yeah, Jappy Dixon. So, yeah, if, I, if I've come back across, there was an actual uh, an actual video. I think that came off a of VHS tape. So if I find that, I will will post that on our uh, Facebook page as well because I know that our uh, our we mentioned this that our sports locker ad from the last week got a lot of positive response and, and ended up that people knew people that yeah. were on that video, people getting so. tagged. It's you know yeah. horrible high school yeah. reminiscent shots that people would hope that other people would forget or have been brought up back to the surface. <laughs> We're just bringing the community together, one horrible 1980 yeah. shot at a time, Chris. Yeah, there you go. So that's, uh, again, our throwback end. By the way, if you have one that you want to send to us, you can always do that uh, or, or send us an email at uh, wildquincy at gmail.com. But, Travis, time for that question of the day. Yes, let's circle back. Let's go back to that. So the question of the day is this. Uh, this month, safewise.com ranked the safest cities in the state of Illinois. Where does Quincy rank? Your options are 18 56, 108th, or 240th. Travis, what is your guess? Now, are the big numbers the worst or the best? So, like, number one would be the safest town in the state of Illinois. Give me give me those options one more time, Chris. So, your options are 18, 56, 108, or 240. I'm going to say 108. We'll go mid-pack. Mid-pack. You are incorrect. Oh, shoot. What was it? <laughs> they are ranked out of... Out of 256 cities in the state of Illinois, they are ranked, or excuse me, 265 cities ranked in the state of Illinois, they are ranked 240th. Oh. So, uh, bottom 25, unfortunately. And uh, so, just to let you know, I believe uh, their uh, crime rate, it's based off of two things, based off the crime rate and um, the violent crime rate, that is, as well as the uh, any prime. Uh, property crime rate yeah and so those are the two that they rank them off so unfortunately not very high number one on the list by the way is a town called campton hills and i believe that's a suburb of chicago they have a population of eleven thousand. their violent crime rate is zero and their uh property crime rate is 1.6 compared to where you're at quincy wise Quincy is 6.1 in violent crime and 30.3 in property crime. Mm, so a little bit of a difference between 1 and 240 there. So, As everyone knows, Chris, this question of the day is always kind of a peek into what's coming down the road. 
So you're talking crime rates, which makes me think maybe a little bit of a darker topic coming up. What's happening? Yeah, our next episode, we're going to dig into the crime aspect of our categories. And we're going to talk about a murder that happened in the late 90s. And it was a murder that uh, made some headlines, Travis. And it, it made some headlines so much so that we need to bring in somebody that uh, was the person that was reporting on those headlines. We're going to be talking with Jennifer McIntyre, former WGEM anchor and reporter. She was was actually the lead reporter in that investigation she followed it all the way through from uh, start to finish so we're going to be talking to her and, and having her give us a recap and kind of give us a little information about how that uh, all played out yeah this is pretty pretty fresh as far as things go chris um 90s i don't remember this very much so i'm really kind of at the edge of my seat on this this tragic event that happened and we're going to reminisce a bit and see uh, see exactly what happened. Yeah, so be looking for that in our next episode coming up in a few weeks of Wild Quincy. Travis, I think that's going to do it for us. Yeah, we'll catch you on the Patreon episode next week. Uh, for everybody else, we'll catch you two weeks out with the next show. All right. For Travis Hoppin, I'm Chris Ketters, and you've been listening to Wild Quincy. We'll see you later. Take care, everybody. <laughs>